Hello and welcome to the Didache podcast, where we draw upon past wisdom to help plant and grow new churches. In this A Sunday with Jesus series, I'll be joined by a range of guests, and together we'll walk through a typical Sunday, from the call to worship through to food after the service. And we're asking, how do these things help us to follow Jesus throughout the week? My hope is that we'll see our gathered worship of Jesus as the heart of our church life together and our discipleship to Jesus. Not just because of what we're doing, but because of what God is doing in these gatherings. As James Smith wrote, Worship is the arena in which God recalibrates our hearts, reforms our desires, and rehabituates our loves. Worship isn't just something we do, it's where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship, because it's the gym in which God retrains our hearts. Thanks to all those involved in these episodes, thanks to John Smith for the incredible intro music, and to you for listening. I hope this series helps enlarge your vision of Jesus and his church. Well, I'm here with Paul Blackham, Anglican vicar, church planter, and author of the Book by Book Bible Study series. And we're discussing the, the first of our big picture episodes of a Sunday with Jesus. And this one we're entitling Corporate Christianity. So let me start here, Uncle Paul. I was at college a few years back and I remember an Anglican vicar coming and speaking to us. And he said that the, the most committed Christians in London, in his experience, go to church every other week. And uh, you might have seen a recent Church Times article which suggested that monthly church going suits worshippers post-COVID. Why is that a tragedy? Uh, it's a tragedy. I mean, I've not heard that, but to my initial reaction to that is uh, that doesn't sound like it's Christianity at all. So if those are the most committed Christians, I'd say he hasn't yet met Christians because uh, to, to be a Christian is that your entire identity and obsession is church. Like it's the it's the absolute center of your life, socially, relationally, emotionally, intellectually, is church. So a person who is going to church, say, once every two weeks or once a month, that isn't a Christian. That's someone who's interested in Christianity. I would think of them as an inquirer, sort of like someone on the periphery of church as an inquirer. And, you know, good to encourage them and sort of, you know, uh, help them. But they're not a Christian. And it's really important to grasp that because I sometimes meet people who tell me that they're a Christian, they believe in Jesus, things like that. They listen to Christian music, get some Christian books, whatever. Even sometimes, and very often, they kind of sometimes connected into some sort of parachurch Christian group or something. Um, but I always just immediately say to them, oh, you're not a Christian. You're a person who's interested perhaps in Christianity and you like the idea of some of the activities or values or something like that, but you're not a Christian. Because if you don't go to church, if you don't go to church is the starting point of what it is to be a Christian. That's how we meet Jesus. Church is how we meet Jesus. You can't say, no, I'm first going to be a Christian, then I'm going to go to church. That's impossible. Uh, you meet Jesus at church. You believe in Jesus. Believing in Jesus means you're incorporated into church. So it's the, the very the entire notion 
that a person's a Christian but has church as an optional, it's really important that we correct that straight away because a person who isn't going to church, and, and, and even the phrase going to church, I don't even like that because that's the idea that it's something you go to from time to time. Church is what we are, what we are, it's how we live. So real Christian, a real Christian, they're all day, every day, their church, all day, every day, their church. And there are certain activities where we gather what we gather, or as the Bible calls them, the assembling together, assemble together as it is in the law, assemble all the people together, different size gatherings. And we can talk about that sort of thing. So there are times where we do that, but we're always church. We're always thinking about each other, supporting one another, sharing life, giving ourselves to one another, carrying each other's burdens, all these things. That is what that's what a Christian is, a person who is church. Wonderful. And I will say the vicar that was sharing that at uh, the Theological College session there was bemoaning that. They weren't yeah, celebrating yeah. that fact. No, I um, took that for granted. But, yeah. But, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, uh, you know, what? talk us through what Bible, what theology mm. would, you, would you want someone yeah. to have in place to grasp a vision for corporate Christianity? For yeah. Church. Church. Um, it's... The problem, and like it's, I, I don't want to be really hostile to everybody. I'm sympathetic because we, you know, if you think that the big, I mean, lots of people think that the most foundational thinker for the modern Western world is Rene Descartes, 17th century. And his whole thing is, I'm going to doubt everything that I possibly can. And then he finds the thing he feels he can't doubt. And you're thinking, oh, it'll be Jesus. It will be church. It will be something like that. No, no, no. He felt all those he could doubt. The one thing he felt he couldn't doubt was himself. And he began from, I think, therefore I am. I, I can't doubt my own existence. That's the most important foundational reality. And from that, I'll build out to ideas about God and values and the world and but it but that was the starting point for him the one immovable rock of certainty is his own existence well that is like this Copernican revolution in psychology some would say that had already been going on for a hundred years before he sort of says it well well let's not yeah that's probably true but let's leave that for a minute the big idea is you start from yourself. And that is that just poison, in a way, was injected into the, the, the sort of corporate life of Europe and, and America and the Western world, where you are, you know, life, reality for you centers on you and your thinking. And so out of that came this huge religious tradition of I am having an individual relationship with God, God. Uh, and, and so it's me individually relating to God. And what then church becomes is a kind of support group, maybe cheerleading, encouraging. It's a kind of help desk. But essentially, it's individuals connecting on, an, on a one by one basis with God. And then the evangelical version of that is no, no, not God, Jesus. 
or the charismatic version of that is no the holy spirit or something but it doesn't really matter it's all the same religion of individual relationship and then church is a kind of support group for that. And so then you, what has happened at different times throughout that, these, these hundreds of years, different ways it pans out. But essentially, um, there's the, and, and, and particularly in the 20th century and, and ever more so now, church you can opt out of. Because the idea is, yeah, religion is the religion of your inner life, interior an, an existential thing that's happening inside you and there's this huge like division then between my external life and behavior my body my actions my work all sorts of things like that and then that is one that's like almost completely separated from i can inside i'm like no nah, i've got this fantastic relationship with god or you might be the other way you might say no no my I, i'm very far away from god because i feel individually disconnected from him so it's all assessed in inside in this existential inner life so um particularly in the past say 50 years you get this language of Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. And I'm always like, well, hang on, that's not an option. He's nobody's personal Lord and Savior. You can't have a personal Lord and Savior. He's not like, I don't know, like my personal butler or something. You can have a personal butler or a personal assistant or something who is just working for you individually or something. You can do that. That can happen. You can't have a personal Lord and Savior. Jesus saves church. That is why he, he didn't die for you individually or for me individually. It, it, there's no, and even sometimes people are like, oh no, he wouldn't, even if you were the only person in the world, he would die. That's just total nonsense. Like it's the ch it's church that's the big theme of the Bible from start to finish. Church, the word Israel as well, you know, don't, don't, just a little footnote on this is when you read in the Old Testament and it uses the word like Israel or sometimes Zion also is used to describe it. Don't imagine that, oh, well, Israel was like a racist thing. Jesus, God used to only like people who had the right genetics. And now he's broadened out to be a bit more international or something. Or he's not as racist as he used to be. No, like the Old Testament is never, it, never about race. It's always about faith in Christ. That's And the Bible goes great lengths to show us. It's never about it. So it's all about this body of church people who trust in the prom promise Christ in the Old Testament or the remembered Christ. Uh, New Testament, but it's all the same. We're all trusting in Christ, who's the head of the body, and we belong to the body as we trust in the head. And it's always corporate. It's always, as you use the word corporate, it's always that we belong to this body that is church. Christ died for church. He didn't die for any individuals. He di died for his bride. Church. The meaning of the universe is that he wishes to get married you know, the father says, uh, and maybe the spirit too, it's not good that the man's alone, really talking about Christ, as, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, that's really about Christ, that it's not, and it, so it's getting married to this church, 
And the it, all as individuals, we're part of church. So it is good to ask questions like, am I individually part of church? Am I individually saved? And we do that in evangelism where we're talking to people individually. But the goal is that they become part of church. That's how the same. You, uh, that great phrase that goes to early church fathers, medievals, the reformers, the Puritans, everybody says it up until the, nowadays, there is no salvation outside church. And when I say that now, I find people say, oh, I don't believe that. Anyone can be saved individually just by, you know, believing Jesus. And I'm like, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. First of all, the Bible has no salvation outside church, one. Two, all the evangelical theologians, reformers, Puritans, everybody said that. Everybody understood that. The fact that when I say it now, people would be like, oh, no, that's like false teaching. I'm like, wow, we've arrived at a point where people genuinely believe that you can be saved outside church. And that little footnote on that, again, is that sometimes they're saying, you don't understand. My local church is like a false church. They don't preach the gospel. Or even like one person said to me, it's not even like a proper Christian church. It's a Unitarian church and they don't even believe in Jesus. I said, well, hang on. You're confusing there a building that has a sign at the front that calls itself church. And what is actual church? Actual church is in the tradition of the apostles, doctrine, possibly even physically connected all the way back to the apostles. But it's a place where the word and sacrament is faithfully done. And you, you, the teaching of the apostles, the practices of the apostles handed down in the scriptures, all of that. That is what church is. You must belong to church. Don't worry. Like because sometimes people tell me horror stories of something that is called church and say, well, I can't go to that. There is, and I'm like, no, no, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. You don't just have to go to anything that calls itself church. You must go to a real church. But you, there is no salvation outside church. Wow. So much to ponder there. You once said, uh, and I think you still say, church is where we, in plural, learn life from Jesus, the man full of life. And there's this double dynamic of, you know, gathered, we, we gather to worship together and then we're sent, we're scattered. And that those two things together lead to a, a, an exciting and massive vision uh, for, for human life. But those two elements of gathered and sent or uh, gathered yeah. and scattered, or we might say public and private, some might say, let me put, let me put this to you. Is it fair to say that the instinct of, of the church of the past was that gathered or that public worship is where it's at. And that flows into our scattered life or our private life, though even that was thought of in terms of our relationships to Jesus and church family. But our tendency now is to see private is, is where it's at. And that can flow into the public. But even that public is thought of privately, i.e. I'll go to church if I can, you know, if I feel that I'm well enough or I'm not too tired or for what I can get out of it. Is that fair to say? Or would you push oh, back yeah. against that? I mean, that, you put it even so, I mean, you've made it 
so polite, really. I'm, I'm like so furious about that because that's exactly what it goes on. That this sense that when the saints gather for worship and word and sacrament, it's the most exciting thing in the world every time that happens. It's not a trivial thing. Like I see, because we sent Crispin's next to the Emirates Stadium and Arsenal. Now, you know, some people might find that exciting to go and watch Arsenal. Um, I know you're not one of them, um, but, um, but you, you can see people are genuinely fired up with the prospect of gathering with other Arsenal supporters to be part of this gathered event because they'll they form this like body together of Arsenal supporters and there is this sense of excitement about it and they're going you know well certainly every other week so I think that's it and I'm like that that what they're doing is kind I guess kind of exciting if you're an Arsenal supporter um but it's nothing like as exciting as church gathering where we are those who are being trained to judge angels and we gather together. Well, what the reason for it, I'll come to that in a second, but just that sense, first of all, of the value of it. Like when I grew up, church was not once on a Sunday, it was three times morning, afternoon and evening. And that reflected that sense that there's a, what, what, what could you do better than that? It's the most exciting thing in the whole world gathering. So Sunday gatherings, and each time there was, I can remember times when I was so excited going to church that I cried with excitement going to an ordinary church service because it was just like, well, what could be better than this kind of thing? And then that way, other church, other gathering opportunities in the week. I remember there used to be a Monday night prayer meeting and Bible study, Wednesday thing called Christian Endeavor. That was another opportunity to gather, sing, pray, scriptures things like that there'd be Thursday there was like a youth fellowship gathering time and and then I, I think there were other gatherings as well but it was just like well what what else can you do what's better than that whereas now the basic attitude is oh no I haven't got time for all that like you know I've got to catch up on my box sets I've got a bit of DIY to do got to get the kids to after school clubs got to do that good so it's almost as if there's any number of things that are way higher priority than this gathering together of saints because there's a fundamental utter misunderstanding of what what the excitement of church is and so what people do is as you said what they so the church for them is at best once a week maybe if you're really keen there might be a midweek thing you might roll up to maybe and then if a person does that it's considered mega key whereas in like literally 20 30 years ago you might have five six seven gathering events in a week now one or two is maxed out but it's um the the expectation is is that you will privately and personally get the resources for your Christian life. So there's, I, there's, I like, I'll, I'll just be honest. I read the Bible at once per month. So that only me, that's like, read, you can do that for two hours a day. I don't think everyone should do it, but ministers obviously do that at least. But not everybody does that. But, you know, even anybody, say, could read the Bible for, say, quarter of an hour in the morning, quarter of an hour in the evening, that would get them through it three times, even if they're not a particularly quick, three times a year. 
And it's just that sense, and so that's good. That's good to be doing that. But that isn't even what people are doing. I find, you know, people aren't even really doing that because if they were really doing that, they would be getting to church. They'd be so excited about it. Every time I'm reading the Bible, I get more excited about church. What they do is have all sorts of little resources to give them little thoughts and listen to some worship music. And what they're trying to do is replicate an experience of church, but on an individual basis with some music and some little devotionals or blogs or all sorts of things. And they're trying to, on an individual basis. So instead of the Lord has said, gather together, I'll meet with you there in word and sacrament and worship. You'll experience me. I'll also, every time we gather, it's like a workshop because it's hard. Often when we go to church, the Lord deliberately gathers people who don't who wouldn't naturally get on with each other and who, annoying people who are annoying to you and you will be super annoying to them and all that kind of thing. But he does that deliberately because he's like saying in the Bible, it's full of one another's love, one another, serve one another, bear with one another. There's I think there's like a, over a hundred of these one another's. Because that is what it means to follow Jesus, the one another stuff. That's why it's impossible to live a Christian life individually, because it's about one another. And it has to be hard. So one person said to me, oh, I'm, I'm going to leave this church because I, basically it's hard. Things aren't quite the way I like them. They're not, they're not you know, I'm a consumer and I'm not getting what I want from the experience. What I want to say is it's supposed to be quite hard because it's the waitress, the gym, where we're learning how to live the life of God and learn how to become humble and servants and not put ourselves first and put others first. So if you go to if you went to another church and you genuinely were a child of God, he just have to make that hard for you. He's got to put you in the gym. So you say, I don't want to be in the gym. I'm going to go over here because this church is lovely and easy. If you, He's got to make that hard for you if, because he's got to get you discipled and growing. And that's what church does. It's wonderful. It gives us. And I, all, I find I'm like, oh, I don't necessarily want to go today. I'm a bit tired or I've got things on it. I, I've never, and then you go anyway, even if you might be grumpy, bad attitude, full of sin, full of shame, all these things, any number of them. I've never gone to church and regretted it. I've always then gone, oh, that was brilliant. That was brilliant. And it, it, it changes you. So gathering is word. It's like it says in the Psalms, you know, Psalm 14 in verse 5 He's, he's there, he's in the generation of the righteous or in the assembly of the righteous or with his people. So the fool is like, there isn't a God and so lives badly. And that's what the Psalm 14 says. Or because they live badly, they don't know God. But it, it, the Psalm 14 is really saying you get to meet God if you come to church. Psalm 22 says it very strongly as well. You know, you, the Holy One inhabits the praises of Israel. So it's specifically when we gather and are praising that we experience the presence of God. That's right there at the beginning of Psalm 22. You know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus on the cross. 
And what he's recalling is, when did he really not feel forsaken? And it's in church assembly, gathering for church, which is so powerful. So I'm saying loads of people I meet are saying, oh, I feel like I'm not sure God exists. Even Christian people have said that sort of thing to me. I'm sort of thinking, well, you're not committed into church enough. That's how you know. Or John says, here's another good one. John, you know, um, no one has ever seen God at any time, but... What does it say? God, we know everyone knows the John 1 example. Uh, no one has ever seen God, right? John 1, everyone knows that bit. Uh, but God, God the Son has made him known, right? Everyone knows that. But there's another one that says it, isn't there? 1 John 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God. So we know, like, but Jesus makes him known, but church makes him known. 1 John 4, 12, no one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, another the one another verse, but if we love one another, God's love, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. See that? So no one's ever seen God. So you need Jesus. You need church. And then if you can't have one without the other, because you can't be like, oh, well, you can, you can know, you can see God through Jesus or you can see God through church. Nah, that's not, it's not two options. It's one option. No, no one has ever seen God. Jesus makes him known. How does he make him known? Come to church, love one another. Then you will see God in Jesus. That's how it works. So, yeah, I couldn't say it more strongly in a way, the sense of that. This corporate thing, and um, because again, sometimes people say, Oh, well, church is okay, but I'm getting into kingdom stuff. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but by that they mean I'm going to do like political and social stuff out there. And they perceive, they're telling me, Oh, church is like this small ghetto thing, but God's out work, at work beyond church. I'm like, No, 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 that's totally ridiculous. Kingdom is the rule of Jesus over the universe. To be a citizen of the kingdom is to be a church member. So whatever's going on, like if you're not part of church, you're not doing kingdom work, whatever you're doing, it's just you're doing something that you think is making a difference in the world. But lots of people do that. Non-Christians do it, Muslims do it, make a difference. But it isn't kingdom work. Kingdom, if you're a citizen of the king, he reigns, you serve him church is experiencing that just let me if i can say one more thing psalm 87 is literally um every time i read it i like often start crying i won't now because i've got myself together but it's that lovely there's loads of psalms that are about church but this one i love um it's about zion so remember again israel that's church zion church City of God, church, loads of these images. But this one, his foundation is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Isn't that love that God loves church more than anything, even all. So he's saying to those Old Testament people, you may love your nation and all these things going on in the nation. But remember, what that's not what you really are. What you really are, or you're supposed to be, is church. God loves 
church more than anything else in all the world. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. And then, I love this, I will make mention of Rahab and Babylon to those who know me. Behold, Philistia, Tyre with Ethiopia, this one was born there. And of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself shall establish it. And it's just that lovely, amazing vision where God loves church. And all these nations like Rahab, that's Egypt, Babylon, the Philistines, Ethiopia, all of them. And it's like, no, where were you born? And they will say, no, I wasn't born in Egypt. I wasn't born in Babylon. I was born in Zion. I was born in church. That's my real identity. All these other amazing empires, Egyptian empire, you'd be proud of that. Or the Babylonian empire, the Persian empire, the Greek empire, the Roman empire, British empire, whichever empire you want. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. One person says, where were you? But ah, I was born in Zion. I was born in church. This one was born in earth. And the Most High himself shall establish her. The Lord will record when he registers the peoples. This one was born there. So he issues you your true birth certificate. And it's the thing you're so proud of and you treasure. Now, my I birth is in her, in church, in Zion. Um, and then it's lovely because both, it ends just with that little strange phrase, both the singers and the players on instruments say, all my springs are in you. And it's these people who are playing this hymn long ago and they just say, all the energy and my life for living comes from church. Now I'm saying that Psalm does it. What we want people to be able to believe Psalm 87 and grasp and just feel my identity is in church and all these other identities that I go on about. And whoa, it's a time for a, we're all playing tribal identity games. And that leads to tribalism and fragmentation and death. What we can say is no, Jesus is big enough to pull all tribes and nations and peoples and languages and cultures together. And he deliberately wants every little example of church to be an example of that, of that, that all our identities uh, fall away and we find an identity that's so massive, so wonderful. Uh, and then and we say, Lord, you must establish this, because when we try to do it ourselves, we end up killing ourselves. But when you do it, when you do it, it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. So that's it. When we come to church each week, we've got to have a bit of Psalm 87 about it. Like, or as it says in uh, Hebrews, like, this is what it's like. And on the way to church, we're not like, oh, flipping out, I've got to go to church. We should be on the way to church. And we're saying, um, we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. It's making the Psalm 87, it's making that point. We're registered in heaven uh, to God, the judge of all the spirit, the spirits of just men made perfect. 
to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. So that's what it's like gathering in church. And even the sense that there are angels and the saints who are dead are leaning in and we joining in with something. Oh, my God. Anyway, there it is. So, yeah, let's let's take church seriously. Amen to that. People can't see on the screen, but uh, you're weeping. I'm weeping. My heart's racing. Uh, so excited. And I think for anyone listening to this, perhaps there's someone listening who is someone that we were talking about at the beginning, someone who perhaps dips into church once in a while. And I think we want to say to them, don't settle for less than what you were made for and what you can be saved for, Jesus and his church. And what an exciting and glorious vision of church we've been thinking about there and we're going to pick up on some of that in the next episode on the biblical vision for Sundays and worship and liturgy thanks for now <laughs>